Now you see the title of the message this morning with that pretty non-diver picture, the truth about nice people. How many of you think you're nice? Raise your hands. You think you're nice? Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth about you. I'm sure you want to hear it. I have at home a new project, and it's growing I don't know where I ran across this, and some of you, I'm pretty sure most of you probably have seen this. It seems to me, every time I mention it to somebody, that I'm the only person on earth that had never heard of this until when I recently picked this up. And I've only had this about 20 days now, something like that. And that is a countertop garden. How many of you have a countertop garden at home? 
How many of you have seen a countertop garden? Okay. Well, I got myself a countertop garden. I do not recommend it. It cost more than it should have, the one that I got. But I have it, and it, it comes and has a little water system in it with a little pump. And you put some miracle Grow food down in there, and you put these little pods down in there. There are places for six plants. And I have a countertop salad garden growing. It's not really on my countertop. It's on my desktop at home in my home office. And it sits there in front of me and gives me bright light and makes me feel good because I see stuff growing. And someday soon, I'm going to be able to clip off a few leaves and take them down and have a salad. But what I've watched is, just like you know with seeds, just like you know how they grow, you put them in there and they begin to first sprout. And then after they sprout, they pop up through the hole. And after they've popped up through the hole, they begin to grow. And right now, it's actually been, what did I look this morning? It's actually been 17 days since I put those, started it. And my little lettuce plants are about that tall. I've got six different kinds of lettuce. Um, there's one down there on the end that is seemingly a, a slow learner. It's not growing as well. But the rest of them are really growing well. The reason I tell you that is because that's how our Christian life is. It grows kind of that way. And with that in mind, let's go a verse at a time at what Jesus said. And I'm not going to go a verse at a time in great detail. You know, I got, I, I, I got up this morning and I looked and I said, you're in good luck. I'm going to be about 12 minutes today. I don't think I've ever been 12 minutes with you. But the unfortunate thing is I got up really early and so it's no longer 12 minutes. <laughs> As I read over it, we're going to be a little longer. But here we go. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. It's understood, according to Jesus, that we're to love our enemies. That is to say that we are to have genuine concern for someone regardless of their outward beauty or likelihood of being nice back. Let's say that again having genuine concern for someone regardless of their outward beauty or likelihood. We like to like people that look nice, that smell nice, that feel like us. But what about loving those that may not and also that may not be loving back? And then Jesus goes a step further and he says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Now, I've got to stop and tell you, Jesus says, you know, love them and bless them. And so far, there's been no physical harm done to you in any way. But he says something in this verse that bugs me. Pray for those who abuse you. Well, that begins to raise up something in the back of my mind, and it should for you too. Because what Jesus says next is, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other one. And if one takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. That is to say... You know, it's funny, when Luke tells this, Luke talks about this tunic, this outer coat, but Matthew talks about the undercoat. There was a separate garment that went underneath, and they, they kind of interchange them, but, but it's a little bit different here, because Jesus says, according to Luke, if they take your outer coat, take off that undercoat too, and give that to them as well. So what is Jesus saying? Well, if they strike you on the cheek, don't hit back. Now, we know that's what we want to do, but we have to unlearn that. It's not, and I want to say this here, I'm going to say it later in the message, but I want to stop and say this to you right here. It is not that if a person strikes you that they aren't subject to the legal authorities for doing what's wrong. 
Do you hear that? Really what Jesus is saying here is don't be the law to yourself. Okay, don't, don't become the law to enforce the law that you really have, don't have the right to enforce. But rather, if somebody strikes you, don't get into that hitting game back and forth. But then he says, if they steal your coat, don't withhold the undercoat. Jesus is not advocating that you allow someone to just get away with highway robbery. Really what Jesus is advocating is asking the question, does that person really need that? In other words, why are they doing what they're doing? Is there a real need for them to have that coat? Oftentimes, and I'm sure this won't sound right, but I'm going to say it. When we say we are to do no harm, we need to understand that sometimes doing no harm may very well involve enduring harm. Have you ever had to do that? where you want to hit back, you want to get even, you want to do something, but you endure the evil without becoming the evil. It may very well mean enduring the evil that someone else inflicts upon you or the people you love in your life. I'm going to stop for a minute on this verse and just read to you from 1 Peter. Listen to what 1 Peter says. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure But if when you're doing good and you suffer for it, you endure, this can be a gracious thing in the sight of God. And to this you've been called because Christ suffered for you. And he's left you an example to follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was made fun of, he didn't make fun back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten his enemies. When he was, he continued entrusting himself to his father who, ju- who judges justly. And by those wounds, we've been healed. You've got to stop and think about that for a minute. Who put Jesus on that cross? We didn't. So what really what he's telling us in this Sermon on the Plain has actually been lived out in his own life. And you can't forget that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the hardest thing in the world to do, to pray for somebody that's doing wrong to you. And then Jesus says, give to everyone who's begging from you and from one who takes your goods, don't demand them back. Hmm. Well, you see, if the other person really, truly needs what they have, what they're taking, Jesus is saying, who are you to deny that need? And as you wish, wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's the golden rule. That's pretty simple. Then Jesus asked this question. If you love those that love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And all Jesus is pointing out here is that sometimes, sometimes it's easy to be reciprocal in love. If somebody is loving to you, it's easy to love them back, right? His point is that, well, people aren't always going to be loving you, and, and it's going to be hard to be loving in a situation where it's not being given back. I want to stop for a minute and just tell you that this is not mishy-mushy romantic love that Jesus is talking about. The word he uses here is agape love. I don't know why, but um, this week I got stuck. How many of you remember Captain and Tamil? You remember Captain and Tamil, right? 
It was um, uh, Daryl Dragon was his name. He wore the boat cap. He was the captain. And Tony Tennille. He is now dead. She has got to be in her 80s. But y'all remember them. But he, here's something about love that ought to bug you. And for those of you that don't know who I'm talking about, it's not going to bug you at all. But they sang that song called Muskrat Love. Who sings about muskrat love? <laughs> what, did you ever think about that? How weird were we? That made it to number four on the charts back then. What in the world is that about? Muskrat, here, here's the words. Muskrat, muskrat, candlelight, doing the town and doing it right in the evening. It's pretty pleasing. Muskrat Susie and Muskrat Sam do the jitterbug out in muskrat land, and they shimmy. Sam is so skinny. Well, I won't give you any more of that. I'm just going to tell you that's not the kind of love we're talking about here today. We're talking about God's love. We're talking about the unmerited favor of God and reciprocal love. Look at what Jesus says up there in that verse. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Remember that word. Remember the word benefit. In fact, remember that word enough to, to listen because it's going to be, I think, probably the most important word in this passage. What it means is grace. What it means is a disposition in you that finds itself expressing that graciousness that God has given to you. So it's an action, it's a life, it's a way of being that responds out of a disposition in you. You see, the benefit is not what you get out of it. Rather, it's what you've gotten from him that you can give to someone else. And it doesn't have to do with material things. It has to do with us, with our character, with who we are. It's more than just giving to the person standing at the edge of the corner there begging for money. It's more than giving to the poor. It's more than even food pantry. It's something that can only be attributed to God and then that we extend to others because it's so affected us. I'll give you three illustrations of this from the Bible. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's house. You see, Joseph was looked at because of his disposition, the godly disposition in him in a favorable light. Moses found grace in God's eye. That's a scripture. God looked at Moses in spite of the fact that he had murdered somebody and called him to lead his people up out of bondage in Egypt. God found in Moses a disposition that was different, that God liked. We often think that, you know, well, all the people were bad and Noah got on the boat because he was good. No, Noah found favor in God's sight. And all those things are the word that, I'm use, that Jesus is using here in, the, in this 30-second verse, benefit, which means grace. Noah was found to have grace in God's sight. And then Jesus says in the 33rd verse, if you would do good to those who are good to you, what, uh-oh, there's that word again, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. With the words that we've used so far, benefit, and by the way, here in a minute, it's going to use the word credit, the next verse, but it would be real easy to understand 
that we're supposed to do good things because it will benefit us. We're supposed to do good things because we'll get rewarded. We're supposed to do good things because we will get credit in heaven or somewhere for what we've done. But that's not true. And that's not a maxim from God that if you do the right thing, if you do the good thing, nothing bad will happen to you. Bad things happen to all of us. You can be as good as you want and you will still have to face tough times. Someone may spit in your face just as they did in Jesus's. Someone that you helped in life may spit in your face. Trust me on that. And if not, trust Jesus. Take a good look at what happened to him and then try to emulate that kind of love and grace that he did on the cross. And look, if you would, at the 34th verse. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, there's the word credit, but it's the same word as benefit. What credit is that to you? I'm having trouble here with my slides, gentlemen. I don't know what's going on. You may have to take this over. Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Hear what was said in that verse. It's reciprocal love. It's, I will do, so I will get. And that's not at all what Jesus was selling here. Jesus says, you'll do it when it's hard to do it. And then he goes on to say, love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, Eric, I need you to put this on verse 34. In, in fact, verse 35. Thank you. Well, love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful, And let me reread it. I'm sorry. Love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. I want to talk for a minute about what I call not reciprocal love, but inside out love. We just had Valentine's Day. I forgot to tell you last week that there's only one word that rhymes with Cupid. Now I feel better. Inside out love. What do you think of when you think of love? Red hearts? Roses? Valentine's Day cards? Muskrat love? That's not even close to what God's talking about. God loves his enemies. God gives, not expecting us to give back. Can you do that? That's what it's talking about here. This inside-out kind of love where you love your enemies, you do good, you lend expecting to get nothing back, and your reward, it may be great sometime, but it may not be right now. You see, God loves people that neither deserve it nor have earned it. God gives his favor to people who don't merit it.
God gives it because it comes out of who he is. Inside out love. Back in Isaiah 53, and if you see me struggling right now, it's because this thing's doing everything but what it's supposed to. I apologize. In Isaiah 53, you'll know this verse. Speaking of Christ, Isaiah writes this. He grew up before him like a young plant. Remember that plant? He grew up before him like a young plant. Jesus started as a baby and became what he became at 33 years of age. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form nor majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, he was rejected, he was a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with grief. He was like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. You see, Jesus really didn't look like somebody you'd want to love. But Jesus wasn't worried about that, and I'm not either this morning. What I'd ask you is, is can you look in the mirror? And then ask the question, do you look like somebody that Jesus ought to love? You see, what Jesus is telling us in this passage, and I'm going to sum it up real quick. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name because you're a Christian. You may find yourself, as a follower of Jesus, the recipient, recipient of others' hatred by acts of insult or avoidance. Jesus says, bless those that curse you. Pray for those that abuse you. You may be insulted or cursed and receive others' hatred. If somebody strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. You as a follower of Jesus may find yourself the recipient of others' hatred by their physical abuse of you. Finally, give to everyone who begs from you and for the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. You may, as a follower of Jesus, find yourself the recipient, recipient of someone materially injuring you. And now I'm going to put it on the screen. You, as a follower of Jesus, may be insulted, avoided, cursed, physically abused, stolen from. And what Jesus said was this, expect it. Did you hear me? Expect it. Paul said this, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Jesus, you should not only believe in him, but suffer for him. Huh? Peter says, all who desire a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you hear that? Huh? And Jesus says, expect it. It comes with the territory. Their territory, but not yours. You happen to be living in their territory as a Christian. Remember who you're dealing with. You see, Jesus did not give us rules to follow. He gave us an attitude that we're to pursue. It's a mark of your character to be like Jesus, but it's not your legal duty. And I'm going to stop. I, way early on, before I had all my trouble, I said to you, I'm going to come back to a thought. Well, now I'm coming back to that thought, and I want to say this to you. There's a time when you turn the other cheek, and there's a time when you claim your rights. What do I mean by that? 
Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pilate and the soldier came up and smacked him on the cheek? Jesus said this, if I've done something wrong, you tell me what I've done that you'd smack me on the mouth. But if not, why have you done this? And what Jesus was stating there was, is I'm in a legal system here, and you just hit me, and you have no right to hit me. If you've got a reason to hit me, tell me what that is. But if you don't have one, I'm going to point out to you that you're the one that's not doing the right thing here. There's a time for us to turn the cheek, and there's a time for us to also hold on to our rights. But at the end of the day, there's two things that stand out in this passage. One is obvious. It's the golden rule. Treat others like you'd like to be treated. But there's a second one. Imitate God and be merciful. There's an overriding point that's going to become my bottom line this morning. And it's something like this. I'll get there in a minute. It's important to be like God in our actions than to be loved by our enemies. It's important to live like Jesus. And now I want to tell you the truth about nice guys. Nice guys finish last. You say, Joel, what in the world are you talking about? Well, first, let's fix it. There's women, probably more women than men here today. Nice people finish last. But good people finish well. The way you choose to live in a world of injustice and senselessness will likely change you before it changes others. Let me me repeat that for you. The way you choose to live in a world of injustice and senselessness will likely change you before it changes others. If you choose to respond with a punch with a punch, if you choose to respond with hatred with hate, you will become a punchy, hateful person. But if you choose to live in this world the way Jesus tells us to live, turning that cheek when you have to, giving up that coat when it's necessary for someone, you will begin to experience a transformation in your attitude and in your character that begins to resemble the one who told you to do it. If you're doing it because you want others to love you, you'll get your reward. They'll love you. But that's not what Jesus said to do. If your goal is to be loved by others, you'll probably obtain that. It won't mean that you did well. It won't mean that you were in the end going to go to heaven. It'll simply mean that you obtained your goal. You finished with what you wanted to get. But if you choose to love the other, no matter who they are, without compromising why you love them, and that is, I'll, I'll give you a hint, that is Jesus in you, You'll finish well because he'll change you. The important thing, church, is not that our enemies love us because likely they won't. Some might say that the odds would be 50-50. I doubt it. If you remember when Jesus hung on the cross, one of them turned to him. The other one never did. If you remember the rich man who fared sumptuously every day, he died and went to hell while Lazarus, the poor guy, went to heaven. I think it's likely not 50-50. I don't think it's a majority. I don't think it's two-thirds. I think it's probably far less than what you imagine. But the important thing isn't that you get your enemies to love you. They won't. We don't even do it because we want to win God's love. We do it because we'll become like God 
in our love. Nice people will finish at the end of the pack. But people have been transformed internally. Good people will finish well. In Psalm 112, the psalmist wrote this. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends. In Proverbs, it says this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. All of these things are representative of what God's like. But I think here's the key one for us, and unfortunately I've got got it all on one slide for you, but I'll read it to you. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to stop for a minute and get that. Jesus did exactly what he told us to do. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then he says in the 10th verse, if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, now that we're reconciled we'll be saved by his life. It's the nature of God to love unlovely people like you and me. In Acts chapter 14, there's a story told. Paul is at Lystra. He's got Barnabas with him. They heal this guy. They heal this man who's been uh, struggling his whole life. They heal him. And the man stands up and walks. And suddenly the people of Lystra want to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. Paul tells them, no, don't do that. But here's the truth bomb that he puts in the middle of his speech. And you can go look it up on your own in Acts 14, 16, and 17. It says this. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Let me explain to you what that just said. Paul said, God has let you live however you choose to live, but he has continued to reveal himself to you by making your, your crops produce, your rivers to flow with water, and your lives to be generally easier than they probably should have been. You see, God has never failed to reveal who he is, even when we reveal just exactly who we are. Nice people finish at the end of the pack. Good people finish well. I was talking a few minutes ago about the odds, 50-50, two-thirds, whatever. I want to tell you what I know for sure. 100% the odds are that Jesus loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus loves you. And you can put a period behind that. And he loved us before we loved him. And that kind of love motivates us to love those that may hate us, that abuse us, that steal from us, that lie about us, that hurt us, that may physically harm us. We extend that love of God anyway. The important thing is not that the enemy loves us back. 
the important thing is, is that we begin to look like Jesus. And I'll tell you how I know that. Because the last verse that we read today is Luke 6.35. And it says this, Love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. He had not said that anywhere else. What Jesus just said was, when you do these things, you'll not resemble the person you're loving. You'll resemble the one that's loved you. You'll be sons of the Most High or daughters of the Most High. You will look like your father looks. Here's funny. Last week, and it's just, this wasn't part of the sermon. This just popped in my head. Last week, church is over. I'm standing right back there, and I'm talking to Bob. And I looked at Bob, and I said to him, you look like your father. Now, can I tell you something? I've never met his father. But I've seen pictures the family's posted on Facebook. His response to me was, his brother David looks more like him. <laughs> but I've never met his father, and I said, you look like your father. Never met him. You've never met God. But you can look like him. You've never met Jesus, but you can look like him. And you do that, not because you love to get something out of it, but you love because he's loved you. And you want others to see that Jesus in you. Amen. Let's sing together.